1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. We're going to be reading the whole chapter together. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Amen? However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it. We are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother and sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I'll never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Let's pray. Jesus, would you reveal your heart um, for relationship through this passage? To us today. Holy Spirit, would you encourage us? Would you uh, remind us of your goodness? Will you prompt us where we need to make changes? May we be um, encouraged to love our brothers and sisters better, even now, Lord, and as we work through this passage. Amen. Has anyone had one of those moments where you're uh, listening to a song? And you've got your, your daughters or your, your sons or you're out having um, a game of golf or whatever it might be. And, and they hear this music and the person next to you go, oh, this is the best song ever. Has anyone had those sort of experiences? It's the best song ever. Well, this is more likely me. I'm like, oh, this is the best song ever. But really, I'm honestly saying it's the best chorus ever or the best line of a song ever, because pretty much I've got no clue what the rest of the lyrics are in the song. <laughs> As a musician, I could probably t sing the entire melody to you, but I have no idea what the lyrics are. It's a little bit like listening to me lead worship up here on a Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't just happen on stage, folks. Just ask my kids. <laughs> I'll make up the lyrics all the time. <laughs> because I simply don't remember the lyrics very well. Maybe that's you as well. Or maybe 
It's just the way that music has been designed that there will always be that catch, that, that part which everyone remembers. Whoa, we're halfway there. Yeah. Staying alive, staying alive. Now sing the beginning of it. I don't know the words. Does anyone know the words? Some tragics will be coming up and going, man, I was bouncing out the entire song of the club in 1985. Yeah. All by myself. How's the rest of that song go? Mm. We don't talk about Bruno, no. Yes, anyone with the kids have heard that so many times. Boom, boom, chugga, chugga. Do you know how the rest of that song goes? Some do. I certainly don't. What about this classic from 1986? You gotta fight for your right to... Yeah. Anyone that listens to the radio every week hears that coming out. I, I used to listen to that all the time <laughs> when I was on the bus going to school with my, my St. Clemente friends on the way to Hunter Christian School and coming back and I'd be in my own world and then all of a sudden the entire bus breaks out. You gotta fight. But what's the rest of the lyrics go? <laughs> I didn't know. I had to look them up before I spoke here this morning. And really it's just about teenagers going... I, I, I deserve, I want to do what I want to do. Typical sort of a teenage song, really, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, I'm not encouraging you to go and listen to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> but it's just this reality of, you know, something will capture our attention. And we go, we like that. Maybe there's a few of you who didn't know really any of those songs. And um, maybe it might be a Christian song. A song which is really memorable to you. Um, so what is the best song in the top 40 that's ever come out? Have you got something that immediately comes to mind? And go, this is the best song ever. S some of you might have. Does anyone want to be brave enough? So what's the best song ever? No, nah, you're going to hold it close to yourself. What about what's the best Christian song ever to come out? Maybe something might come to your mind. What if I then said to everyone, what is the best song ever? Oh, hang on a minute. I'll have to do a comparison between Christian songs and the top 40 songs. And um, what if I actually decide, you know, that I think, you know, oh, Bohemian Rhapsody is the best song ever. But then, you know, you're here in church and someone's asking, you know, oh, what's the best song ever? Oh, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, it talks about the devil in Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, oh, it's El Shaddai by Amy Grant. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the reality, though. Would you change what your song would be based on the audience that you are speaking to? You're concerned about what they might say. Some of you might go, no. 
It's my right to feel what I like about any song that I ever listen to. And some of you might go, well, I actually just want the other people to like me, so I'll say whatever song that they might like, and they'll think better of me. It's a, it's a conflict. It's something which we often want to look into and just go, what, what do we say and what do we do based on the opinion of others around us? And then sometimes there might be a place where it goes, I don't care what the opinion of others is. This is my opinion. Deal with it. Is that okay? Maybe. How do you react? Well, today in Paul's um, question, we're going to be looking at this idea of fighting for your right whether it's to party or whether it's to do anything else, we want to look to see what is the heart for the church when we talk about exercising our rights through a gospel lens. So let's have a bit of a deeper look. It starts with Paul turning his attention to something that has been raised with him, similarly to other topics which we've been talking about in the last few weeks. So far, we've been talking about attitudes regarding sex or marriage divorce, singleness, and now it's turning to what seems to be about rights and food. Just typical that it would be about food on the day that I'm preaching on. Thanks, Chris. Let's read verse 1 and the very beginning. It says, now about food sacrificed to idols. Verse 4 goes a bit deeper. About eating food sacrificed to idols then. Well, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him And we exist through him. Okay. Food and idols and gods, lowercase, and lords. And for us to say right from the beginning, there is only one God. God the Father. Paul is immediately establishing to the church, and we did a bit of a digging, and it seems about the issue here is part of their previous understanding and lifestyle of pagan worship in the city of Corinth. So it would be where they would have this idea that meat of its nature is inherently demonised. It um, has a demonic um, placement on the meat. And so they would take it to a certain god, lowercase god, lowercase g, or an idol to have that meat cleansed to make it acceptable to be able to eat. But there was probably also other areas of superstitious belief that by doing so and going and giving a sacrifice to this lowercase god or idol, that they will receive a blessing because they came and did that. It's to be able to take away something that was in the meat and it's to receive the blessing from this god that they're going to worship. So back to verse 1 again. Now about food sacrificed to idols. 
We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the knowledge is, we know that we all have knowledge. The knowledge is that food sacrificed to idols, the idea behind that is that you're bringing it before a lowercase god to be able to have magically whatever it is in this meat taken away and to be able to receive blessing from this God. So he's immediately establishing the going, while I can easily address the issue of food to idols, and I will do soon, I want you to understand that there is a deeper issue at heart here. The knowledge about food and idols and love. Paul's identifying a root principle which needs to be answered when it comes to any situation like he is about to be addressing here regarding food. We might be able to add other things to that, and we will in a little bit. It says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Has anyone here been enjoying the daily wordle of the day? Is it, who here is a wordle tragic? Anyone? Looking around, a few of us. There's four of us in our family, five. Five of us in our family who have been doing wordle. Reuben doesn't have an interest whatsoever. So it goes around, we have a wordle um, group. Each day we'll send it and see, see who gets it. Wordle is simply this um, web page where you have to try and find um, in six or seven attempts of finding a word which is five letters long. And that's the whole point of it. And it's a new one every day. Well, anyone that's been enjoying Word would know that this week, one of the words this week was the word agape. Or uh, this word agape, or did you say agape? No, no, it was agape. This idea of being, he was agape. He was, are you you sure? Wow, wow. This idea of agape. But just like many of us here, for any churchy out there, my immediate idea was that it's probably agape. Or if you're in the... um, the language of Dory, agape. <laughs> agape or agape, meaning love from God the Father. It's actually a Greek word which is used in the Bible to be able to describe love, a pure love, a love that is demonstrative of God's character, who God is. It's a different sort of love to oh, I'd love some ice cream right now, or hello, my love, (laughs) or I love my fellow pastoral team. They are great mates, and I deeply respect them and their godly wisdom. It's, It's a different type of love. It's a pure love. It's a love which is given by the Holy Spirit, which is a representation of how God loves. Pure love. Agape or agape. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But agape 
builds up. God's love, God's pure love builds up. Now, he's about to talk about food to idols and he immediately starts by saying, know that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Okay, so the heart issue he's going to be talking about is not just food, but a Holy Spirit-given power to love like Jesus loves. And let's approach this issue of food in the context of agape love. So let's read verse 4 again. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know the knowledge that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. Continuing on. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. And here's the clincher. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it. And we're not better if we do eat it. So Paul is making it clear here that this food... Sacrifice to idols, there is no power in this idol. There is no power in this God. We believe in one true God. We worship Him. So, all of this stuff about food and being sacrificed to God, if you enjoy meat, go and eat some meat. If you don't like the meat, don't eat the meat. If you are concerned over the meat, don't eat the meat. But if you're looking at it and go, gee, this looks like a really nice chunk of meat, then eat the meat. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? But we haven't yet addressed the whole agape part of this yet. The whole idea of an agape love, Holy Spirit empowered, God given, God demonstrated, outrageous love that makes the unbelieving world look on and be agape at this agape display that they're witnessing. You see, there is no power in these gods. It's just meat made by your creator. But understand this knowledge. Remember that my heart in this letter is about agape, about love building up. And so here, Paul addresses the heart. Verses 9 to 11. Let's go back to verse 8. Food will not bring us close to God. We're not worse off if we don't eat it. And we're not better if we do eat it. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. Eat this food. It's totally, you're totally fine to do that. But you be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge dining in the idol's temple, won't this weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined 
by your knowledge. Now, this is becoming an issue about food being sacrificed to idols. If you eat meat, not an issue. If you eat meat that is sacrificed to idols, not an issue. If you eat meat when it causes another brother or sister to be stumbling, then it's an issue. What do we mean by that? means that if there is a new Christian out there and sees you eating the meat, but underneath they're sort of going, well, maybe there's still some power in these gods and he's eating the meat so I can actually eat the meat now and just in case, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll also just, you know, be thinking, you know, I'll, I'll give it to this God just in case that that God will, will help me. It's distracting from the truth of the one and only true God. You're helping a brother and sister to fall and to go backwards in their walk with Jesus and being encouraged to worship an idol. Verse 12 says, Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Is it wrong to eat the meat? No. Is it wrong to eat the meat and to be causing your brother and sister to stumble in their walk with God and to be starting to be thinking about worship to idols? Yes. That's sinful. You are not loving your brother and sister by doing that. You are encouraging them to fail. That's not agape love. That's not pure love. You've got knowledge. You know that the meat has no power in it. It's your right to eat the meat. I'm going to stand up for your right to eat steak. <laughs> but if it's causing someone to sin, if it's causing someone to stumble in their walk with Christ, then, then it becomes a sin issue. So what was Paul's simple solution to this? It's not rocket science, is it? Verse 13. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. It's a pretty big, bold statement. Paul might like his steak. He might enjoy roast pork. But if it's going to cause a brother or sister to stumble, he has more interest in loving his brother and sister than his right. Is that how we're seeing the world deal with rights at the moment? No. Rights is about standing up for what I want and it's all about me. And if you don't agree with it, it's your problem. Paul was willing to give up eating meat 
so that his brother or sister wouldn't stumble or fall. We've heard similar stories like this from John and Janet in PNG, where they have new believers come to Christ and come to daily Bible studies. And then they find out that they've gone to go and visit the local witch doctor, just in case, just because that's what they've always done. And, and just to make sure, and, and, and others around them have been putting pressure on them because that's what you always do. You go and see the witch doctor if there's a problem. And so they go and do that. Stumbling and falling and causing other brothers and sisters to go, well, I'm going to go to the witch doctor as well. Backsliding into a desire to take control of anxieties or circumstances back into your own hands rather than God's hands. Praying to another God, lowercase, or an idol just in case. So there we go. Nice lesson for us all. Go home, cook a nice spit roast, enjoy the freedom of knowing that you've got every right to. No worries. Just check with those that you're having for lunch, that they're not concerned and feel embarrassed to let you know that they want to worship false idols if you eat roast beef today and go and enjoy a nice lunch. And we could wrap it up, you know, so we'll call the music team up and we'll wrap it up here. Is that a good place to wrap up this message? No, of course not. Let's go back to Paul's response again. And let's look at how we, here, Raymond Terrace Community Church, everyone listening in online, might work through this in our own lives here. Because I'm pretty sure, in general, we're not all struggling with meat and sacrificing to idols. Is that a fair call? I could be wrong. There could be some people here who have come from another cultural background, and that might be an issue. But we need to make this relevant for us here today, isn't it? Verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I'll never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Paul would rather give up his right to eat meat than to be offensive or to cause his brother or sister to stumble. I wonder if you applied this principle to other areas in our lives how you might respond. I've got a pretty good idea because it's about how I might respond. Areas which are not explicit in the Bible about being sinful or not. In fact, it could be your right as a Christian to go about doing it. Or it could be your right as a Christian to go about not doing it. Yet, this decision of something could be causing a stumbling block to your other brothers and sisters in Christ that you are around. It might cause hurt or offence. And it might cause your witness to be damaged in terms of being a testimony of who Jesus is and what he is like. Well, I'm pretty sure that a lot of you would know one of the most obvious applications to this. And maybe many of you have 
even heard, whether it's a message specifically from this passage or some other passages similar to this, of how this might be unpacked. And that might be simply the use of alcohol. The Bible is not explicit in saying, do not drink alcohol. Simply not. We could treat alcohol like this area here when he's talking to Christians and about me. The alcohol in and of itself, alcohol will not bring you close to God, whether it's used traditionally in a communion setting or not. We're not worse off if we don't have it. We're not better if we do have it. The only place we see it being really stipulated is in the area of eldership and pastors, where it says that they must not be known to be drinking much wine. The alcohol part isn't an issue. Getting drunk is an issue. It's very explicit about not getting drunk. So, there may be people in this group here who choose to abstain from alcohol. There'll be people in our congregation who enjoy to have a, a glass of wine with their food. It's not a problem. But it's a pretty big problem for me if I choose to go with my core group to go and have a drink at a pub at the end of a core group term and there's people in out this is a scenario this is not what's going on but but you know there's someone who's really struggling with alcoholism how am i loving my brother or sister by going to a club where they struggle with alcoholism and some get a drink and that other person won't have a drink there but boy it's going to be a struggle for them and you might not know that a day later, they will go down to the club and they'll go and have a drink. And they start this downward spiral of an issue of alcoholism again. I would rather never again drink alcohol than to cause my brother or sister to fall. It's not agape love to go, well, it's my right. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just going to do it. That's not loving. So, that's alcohol, but, you know, it's not just meat or drink. What other areas in your life do you have rights? And the Bible might not be explicit in being sinful or not, not sinful. And an expression of these rights, I can do that, so I will. Which might be not displaying agape love to your brothers and sisters probably haven't offended or pushed too many buttons yet. Maybe by the end of this list, you might. You might want to have a conversation with me. I'm hoping that my gentle suggestion of some other areas here might help you to be thinking through and framing, do I go and do things because I want to do it and I don't care about what other people think? What movie 
are you going to go and see? And watch together. I don't have any problem with swearing, so I'm going to go and do it. But maybe someone else, as soon as they hear language, they have that rolling around in their heads for days on end. Responding to others on social media who has a different opinion to vaccination as you. Your response to the government when you feel like your rights are being ignored. When you really like playing this particular role-playing game. Or multiple times on Twitch playing games. You've got the right to play those games. But is it good for you and is it good for your brothers and sisters? Is it good for your children to be watching? Is it distracting you from spending time with your partner? It's your right. As a Christian, God's not saying you can't play that game. You can't respond to vaccinations in this way. You can't do this or that. But how is it affecting your relationship with brothers and sisters? Christian brothers and sisters around you and your witness. Have I pushed any buttons yet? How about a few more? Costanza, I'm going to choose the best car park at church because I want to park there and it's raining. Even though there might be others in our church who are not as mobile. respecting others' time by turning up early rather than just turning up whatever time you eventually get there. Remember I said these were buttons which were being pushed on me, okay? (laughs) I'm just helping you to be thinking through. It's my right to turn up whenever I want. But is that encouraging my brother and sister? Staying longer to help wash up or pack up after a function. Or packing up the chairs after church. I don't have to pack up the chairs, it's not my job. Someone else will do that. I don't want to have a conversation with that person. I don't really like them. How are we going? For those listening online, you don't escape this either. (laughs) We are grateful and delighted to have anyone listening in today on live stream. I don't know if you can see me looking into the camera at the moment. We love you being here and joining with us. Or maybe you're joining in later in this week and you're listening to this message. It might be even a few weeks later. We welcome you. And we love you being part of this service. However, as God's church, relationship is what God has caused us to be a part of in being together. If you're listening in this morning online because of your inability to be able to be here, 
with sickness or physical inability. And in all realities this week, you might be stuck because of the flooding around at the moment. It has impacted so many people in our local area. And we want you to know that we welcome you and this is a great place for us to connect. And we're glad to be able to do that. And we encourage you, if you have anything that you want to connect with us about, go to our website and connect with us. Ask for prayer. Ask for questions that you want to know about our church or how we can help you. But I do want to make it clear, though, that being online is a very poor cousin to meeting in person. If you're local and you can, be present in person. Be present in person. You've got every right not to. But you're an encouragement to others when you're here. And we can be an encouragement to you. If there's kids which make it easy for you to be at home or a partner that makes it easy to just stay at home, then know that they need to connect with others also to be accountable in their Christian walk, to learn and understand why the Christian life and journey together is important. Don't let your children grow up thinking they don't need to be with other Christians. They need to be here. They need to see your priority in wanting to agape love others. God-given, God-empowered. And trust me, there will be mornings when we come and we don't feel like we've got that love. That's why it's Holy Spirit-empowered. He will give you that love, agape love, to stay. If you're listening in from a distance please feel free to join in. We are so glad that you're with us. And be encouraged through what we are doing in the life of church here at Raymond Terrace. And our desires would be that that would move in Raymond Terrace and beyond. But we also want you to know that God is calling you to be connected to a local church, to love others and to serve others where you're at, while you are also being loved and served as well. All right. Back to everyone. The hardest rights in, the, in putting down when it comes to agape love are often those when it comes to hurt relationships. I don't have to. This person hurt me. It's my rights. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to fight for my right. That person hurt me. Maybe the button being pushed for you this morning is maybe you do need to ring your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister and say sorry for hurting them, even though you probably strongly feel like that they have more to say sorry to you about for hurt caused to you. How does, how does God deal with hurt? How does God forgive? What is agape love in that situation? Asking God for greater tolerance and attitude for those in your life whom you deem as an 
extra grace required person. You really just don't want to hang around them. (laughs) Jesus died for that person. He loves them. And he wants to use you to display agape love to serve them like God serves. And they are there to serve you in the same way. Deciding your time for serving in the church. Oh, my time for serving at church is finished. I've had my time. I'm just here for the ride now. It's probably the last button I'll dare to push today. How is God wanting you to express agape love to your brothers and sisters? It's your right. You can do any of these things. It's not being explicit in the Bible. But agape love is demonstrated to the Bible in many ways. Love God and love others. Okay. Well, if I've offended anyone in some of those examples, and there's way more examples that could be given, I gently want to encourage you to bring that to the Lord and find out why is that that this is a touchy subject for you. And then if you want to talk to me, more than welcome to have a conversation. Causing someone else to be offended or stumble or be left alone out in the cold because of your rights is not agape love. Agape love is sacrificial love. Can I also acknowledge that this could be a time where some of you might be feeling a bit of a conflict between Tim talking about agape love and coercion. Well, Tim's pointing this out, and I guess I'm going to have to. So, next week, before school goes back, I'm going to demonstrate how much I quickly pack up all these chairs at church. Because he's going to be watching Maybe. (laughs) But that's not the issue here. If you're doing that, then please just exercise your right not to. But how do you love those who serve faithfully here? How can you serve? How can you invest in other people's brothers and sisters' lives? How is the Holy Spirit filling you that you can't wait to help someone? that you want to show them how much Jesus loves them in any way that is needed to serve. That's the attitude we're looking for. Agape love, not coercion. All right. Is that about enough? Should we wrap it up now? Some of you are going, yep, you've spoken way too long, Tim. Let's leave it at that. But I don't want to. I want us to finish and really focus on the source of agape love. Agape love is God demonstrated. Agape love is God given. Agape love is pure. Agape love 
is just not something to do a sermon on. Do this or don't do that. Agape love is the core of the gospel. Agape love is central around Jesus. And Jesus knows what it's like to have rights and freedoms and had every right to exercise them at any point of time. He's God incarnate. Yet, we would witness in the Bible time after time after time where he chooses not to exercise his rights in order to benefit those around him. How do we see this? Here's just a few that came to my mind whilst I was preparing this message. Jesus is at a wedding feast and just happens to be something around the serving of wine, one of those earlier touchy subjects. Mary says, Jesus, go and deal with it. And then Jesus says to his mum, it's not my time yet. And she says to the servants around and to the disciples, just do what Jesus says. Jesus had made it clear, my rights, it's not time yet. But he gave that up and performed the first miracle that we see in Scripture in looking to the wishes of his mum and those at the wedding party. I, I don't really understand that. Really, why would Jesus say, it's not yet my time, and yet then goes and performs this amazing miracle? He had the right to be able to decide when the time was whenever he wanted. But for the sake of love, he did it. Jesus spending 40 days in the desert, being tempted by Satan, 40 days in the desert without food is enough for me. And Satan is hitting him in all different ways. Why don't you tell these stones to turn into bread? Does Jesus have the rights to do that? Of course he does. He's God. But he responds by teaching that rights is not necessarily what God wants him to do. God the Father. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word comes from God he says well why don't you um, go to this temple and why don't you just jump off this ledge and all the angels will catch you well, that's Jesus's right and the angels would catch him because he's God <laughs> he says no and then this idea of community and desire to have the world worship him, Satan goes, well, what if you just worship me, then I'll organise everything else to bow to you. And he says, go away. I find that one the most profound. Because Jesus was not going to coerce the world to follow him. 
He wanted to demonstrate through agape love how much he loved them, that they might respond with a heart of gratitude and want to run to Jesus to be their Lord and their Saviour. Jesus washing disciples' feet. He has the right to have the entire world bowing before him and to have all of his disciples doing his every beg, beg, his every wish. And here he is washing their feet. Jesus praying in the garden. God, please take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours. I don't want to do this. He has every right to do whatever he wants. But I'm willing up to give up my rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of redeeming a people whom I love to come back to me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says in the ESV, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. What's the key word in righteousness? Right. John 1. He was in the world... And the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Jesus gave up his rights to live, to die, so that we might have the right to be children of God. He gave up his rights to impute rights to us, to be part of his family. That's incredible. What love. The same people who would yell out, crucify him. He died. He gave up the rights, his rights, because he loved them perfectly. Agape love is Jesus' love. Jesus is love. So, my brothers and sisters, if it's hard... Know the knowledge part that Jesus did everything to give us the position that we have here to be God's family, to be gathered on a Sunday rainy morning hearing from Tim from the Bible. That's the knowledge part. He gave up all rights in order that we can be in a right relationship with him. God invites us to a deeper experience of agape, a deeper experience of love, pure love from the Father. So what will your response be? Well, I'm going to fight. 
for my right to do whatever I want? Or am I going to be motivated and changed and with joy choose agape love? To love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength. And that agape love will be demonstrated to be loving others as we love ourselves. When we do that, the world looks on and sees God at work. And like Maddie mentioned a little while earlier, a city on a hill. When we go out into the week, our agape love is sprinkled like salt. Sprinkled around being very tasty. A true example how Jesus makes a difference in our lives. Not based on our rights, but on our willingness to love which may even impinge on our rights. Knowledge puffs up. You've got the rights. But love, agape love, builds up. Let's pray. And now I really do invite the music team to come up. (laughs) Jesus, Responding to agape love might be easy in some ways to respond to your love. But God, we also maybe need to kneel down before you and recognize that we have a selfish part of us which wants to do things because we just want it. And you give us permission. It's rights. But Lord, when we use and exercise our rights in a way which damages relationship and doesn't lift up and look for the best of our brothers and sisters. You've called that out to be sin. Show us, God, where we're doing that. And we seek you for forgiveness. God, we want to be able to so demonstrate by your Holy Spirit's power in us agape love in such an outrageous way in how we love our brothers and sisters that we have a community around us astounded that we would put others and their needs above our own that we love you with all our heart and our natural go to is to love others as we love ourselves God show us how you want us to exercise our rights we pray Amen